Hello, and welcome to Leading Inspired Learning, a Strive podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Leading Inspired Learning podcast. My name is Allie. I am the project manager of Strive and your host for today's episode. Uh, today is a very, very, I mean, I think I say it's a very special episode every time we record, but this one's extra special. We are, I think, the largest number of people on the podcast ever. There's seven of us around this table, and I'm thrilled that our team, our community partners, get to have an incredible conversation with none other than Diane Cashin and Cindy Green. So welcome, welcome. Since there are seven of us, we're going to go around the table and introduce ourselves for the first but not last time appearing on the podcast, the one we talk about almost every episode, Sherry Spriggs. I'm Sherry Spriggs, a registered early childhood educator. I'm the Quality Initiatives Coordinator with St. Thomas Elgin Children's Services. And I'm Cindy Green. I was a former professor at a community college, and uh, I have now retired from there. And I'm a professional learning consultant. So, and I've been doing this a number of decades now, but and I, I won't say how many. <laughs> you don't look a day over 23. Oh well, thank you. <laughs> I'll tell you how many. <laughs> um, it's been about four decades, and the, and I said Cindy could go first because I could say same, um, because we did work together at the same college, but we know each other from the same community, uh, which is York Region. And uh, yes, I'm also an early childhood educator and uh, retired professor doing consulting work. But I also write and I have a new book coming out on professional friendships, which Cindy helped to edit. So yes, we work a lot together. And it's so wonderful to see all of you around this table that we have these connections Mm -hmm. and we are from different parts of our province and we've gathered here at my little cottage, cozy cottage, cozy. Uh, by the great big Lake Huron, and I'm happy we'll have a little beach walk afterwards. Yeah. And I forgot to celebrate that I also am a registered early childhood educator. Yes. Yeah. It's okay, so, Diane didn't say her name. So. Oh, <laughs> oh, yes, well I'm uh, Kim Kardashian. <laughs> I'm Diane Cashin. <laughs> And I'm Lauren Goosens, R-E-C-E. I'm currently a director in St. Tom Selgin. I'm Haley. I'm also a registered E-C-E, and I'm part of the Strive team as a community animator for London Middlesex. I'm Kayla Bartlett. I am a registered early childhood educator, and I am also a community animator for Strive, representing Elgin, but I am also the professional learning lead on our team. Awesome. So uh, seven of us, three mics, bear with us during this episode. Like I said, we haven't had this many incredible voices around the table yet, but who knows if this continues, we may have to, you know, get a little more technology, get more mics, get a a whole, maybe a production team. Who knows where this will take us (laughs) next. So the main reason for our visit today is to talk a little bit more about some of the work that uh, Kayla and Haley have already, um, I'm surprised I didn't call you Kaylee. Yeah, <laughs> that comes out of my mouth all the time. I'm sorry. I bet you it does. That would easily slip right out for me too. <laughs> yeah. um, they're mentoring work. Uh, Diane recently wrote a blog post that featured some of uh, their conversations. So we'll chat a little bit more about that. Like Diane mentioned, her new book is coming out very mm-hmm. soon, so we're excited to dig into that. And really, we wanted to do what exactly what this podcast is tending to, which is engage in professional critical friendships and let everybody listen. So that's what we're doing today, and we're pretty good at that. We've already spent two hours gabbing and chatting and digging into different topics, so now everyone gets to have a part of that. So first and foremost, the blog post. You want to start with talk, talking about that a little bit and, and your work with Kayla and Haley? Yes, it was so wonderful that you contacted me. It, it's interesting, Cindy and I talk a lot about the next generation and being a little worried about you know how knowing how much we've committed and to the community and worked in our profession to support early childhood education. And I, well, who's coming next? And then these two lovely 
Young. younger, <laughs> early childhood educators contacted me and said, let's talk about mentorship and friendship, which is so fascinating because the reason I wrote the book is because all my answers, all my questions were not answered under the mentorship model because we don't always have that mentor-mentee relationship and often when we do the mentor is more powerful than the mentee and what about professional friendship and so i wrote this book and sherry you're 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 in the book you're picture celebrity yes um, <laughs> and uh yeah you've got a couple pictures in there too cindy so it was quite um a wonderful experience but the experience of talking about how mentorship and friendship intersect and and having this uh, wonderful hour and a half conversation <laughs> and I said I'm gonna record it so that I have something for this blog and wrote a blog about mentorship and friendship and it's something I haven't stopped thinking about mm -hmm. since. So I really do appreciate that opportunity to learn about the work that you're doing in your communities and how important it is. Yeah, I think when we were, when we've been engaging in this work, a lot of it has really circled around just conversation amongst the two of us. I mean, we're met with almost every um, provider in our area and different um, members of the early years community, but a lot of our work has really been those really critical, like questions-based conversations behind closed doors where we're really thinking, okay, here's what we're hearing, but what are the underlying questions or considerations that we need to think about moving forward? Because if we only tackle this one perceived challenge or need, we're missing all the other pieces. And it keeps coming back to this idea that you know, of capacity and of um, trust in relationships and having the perceived time to build those relationships. And it relationships have really been shining through mm -hmm. as an overarching theme in this work and beyond just the professional relationship of the mentor and the mentee, just overall relationships within the work that we do every day, whether it be with family, children, um, mm -hmm peers it, it just really is what we're noticing that mentorship is kind of connected to every piece of the work that we do um, and understanding that context of what it might be and considering how friendship plays a part because we mm -hmm. often see those dual relationships happening within within the work that we do and are they really dual relationships mm -hmm. because that power balance remains no matter what context you're mm -hmm. in when you are if you are someone's supervisor you can say you're their friend, but at the end of the day, does that person feel safe in that relationship to show up as the individual that they are or to express if they're having a challenge, is their job at risk, et cetera. So we were really curious to connect with you because we knew that you were doing this work and have your book coming out and having attended your professional friendship session in the fall, it really was just kind of like a light bulb of, well, maybe, maybe it doesn't have to be so formal as mentorship in every scenario. And maybe there's a space to nurture this idea of a professional friend that you can go to regardless of context. Yeah, and I think it came out even in our, our survey as well. We surveyed our region to understand their understanding of mentorship. And I think a lot of the points they made, I think connect more with kind of more of that professional friendship piece where it is something that's reciprocal. There's no judgment, there's no kind of fear there's that trust there and I think that's that's something that can be present within mentorship but I think there's always like we've discussed there's always kind of that power dynamic and I think even for students that are on placement too there's always going to be that kind of power dynamic of oh my mentor can fail me and I won't be able to kind of continue on through school so I think that's always kind of present there so I think making that distinction between mentorship and friendship was something that's really critical and I think may be able to kind of help the work going forward and for people to kind of reconceptualize what that mm -hmm. looks like as well. It makes me think of the pendulum analogy and we talk about it when we talked about you know, child-led and the pendulum swung too far that educators completely removed themselves from the program and and with mentoring I feel like the pendulum was at this very clearly defined mentor-mentee then we swung the pendulum, and I'm looking to you, Sherry, almost too far because we realized that mentorship is almost in everything we do. It's in every professional learning. It's in every relationship. Mm -hmm. So we stopped, and this is when you were still with Strive at the time, 
the formal mentor working group and, and really dug into how it was embedded in everything we do. But it's like we need to bring the pendulum mm-hmm. back a little mm-hmm. bit. Center it. Yeah. We had these conversations often in the car while we were driving mm-hmm. back from some of our quality and you know pedagogical conversations that we've been having and I've had the privilege of having through various you know meetings that we've attended mm-hmm. and opportunities we've attended across the province and we had these conversations to say why why can't we all have these conversations mm-hmm. why is it limited ju- to just um, you know say leadership or just those mm-hmm. that are thinking system pedagogically and and we talked about wouldn't it be great if we could have these almost like these table conversations where we just you know we dig into things and there's no judgment and we start to think about our perspective and our values coming through and how that then causes or allows someone else to say that makes me think about as well and a place where you can have conversations without judgment and you can say exactly how you're feeling and have others say oh my gosh I felt the same way and this is how I'm thinking about it further this is what I'd like to do to act upon this Mm -hmm. and I think that's where it stemmed from that we don't necessarily need this hierarchical Mm -hmm. idea and that it's very multi-pronged and multi-faceted and if we can share that in a way that people can find where they fit Mm -hmm. and they can find where in their role where in their career stage that they fit and they can make these pedagogical friendships Mm -hmm. that it would it would not only increase our growth but it would also really support others as we move forward and begin to leave legacy and you know enable others to come into um, this way of thinking and being with one another. Well, it's interesting, when I wrote the blog post, I had just had a webinar and uh, asked, you know, I had 35 people, so I thought, how many of you have a mentor? Mm. Zero. Mm. 35 educators, zero had a mentor. How many of you have a professional friend, somebody you can go to, a colleague that you share a context with, and almost everyone had one? And it's like, I worry because it seems that the focus of so many community work and funded work Mm -hmm. is around mentorship. And it does fit with a supervisor to an educator or a director to an educator because you can't be their friend it's unethical right but you can act as a friend befriend the you word can be befriend used. right befriend. so you can act as a friend you can befriend but you can't you have to have boundaries you are in charge of their performance you can't be a friend but you do need to be able to mentor and it's are we missing that because this is a conversation Cindy and mm-hmm. I have been having for a couple of days are we missing that because we see a lot of mentorship happening supervisor to supervisor so a a, a seasoned supervisor will mentor a new supervisor absolutely Mm -hmm. that is needed and that's important but what about educators so if you have a professional friend it could be your room partner which is amazing because that they'll support you pedagogically they want the best for you they want to see you shine so they're going to help you through some of your you know uh, roadblocks but if you don't have that what's the role of your supervisor the person that's above you it is to mentor so it's like you we can't kind of need both right it's complex. Yeah. it is And that's part of the struggle that we've been having along the way as we consider what potential pathways as we're coding through our data is like how do both coexist? Mm -hmm. Like how do we have these formally defined ways of mentorship while also maintaining space for pedagogical friendship? Because I think like the pendulum, we've been using this this like analogy, metaphor, Mm -hmm. whatever the word is, (laughs) um, a lot where our sector in particular I find loves a good buzzword (laughs) loves a good like hot topic loves a good new thing and how do we present something without having the pendulum just fly right off the rail so maintaining that balance of we're encouraging professional friendship pedagogical engagement at 
you know, peer-to-peer level, also within different levels of your organization, but also maintaining those important mentoring relationships that serve to grow us in different ways. Because I think they serve different purposes. Like mentoring, in my mind, like that's onboarding. That's like your training style. It's conversational as well. But when I look at conversations that I'm having with organizations in our community, there is a pretty defined set of things that fall under what they consider mentorship. And then anything else, they don't categorize as necessarily Mm -hmm. like a mentoring practice or practice even though it would fall under that professional friendship pedagogical mentoring or pedagogical conversation so as a sector I think they're kind of defining pretty clearly what they believe to be mentorship versus oh there's just like a friend that I talk to at work and that's that's for me personally and the work that I'm doing right now is that delicate balance of leaning into both and how do we lean into mentorship without leaning Mm -hmm. in to the power Yes. And in a sector that has traditionally been pretty powerless and marginalized, Mm -hmm. that, oh, you know, I'm being assigned the mentor role, that means it's my knowledge, Mm -hmm. it's my experience, I'm the expert. Mm -hmm. And with professional friends, in the book I talk about mentorship swinging both ways (laughs) Mm -hmm. because you cannot and I don't care if you're 60 years old and been in the sector for many years and have degrees and books and whatever when we had our our little conversation on on zoom for an hour and a half you were teaching me things every time you opened your mouth Mm -hmm. I went oh oh Haley (laughs) I never thought of that oh Kayla I never thought of that and I'm learning something and I'm really but I'm the seasoned one I'm the one with the books and the degrees <laughs> but I can learn something so h- how do you break that feeling that yeah. I am the mentor it is my job to tell you what you need to know yeah. and if you think of it as onboarding okay sure because if you're new to the organization then yes you need to know where we keep this and mm-hmm. our policy on this and what to do if this that person's not going to have that knowledge Mm-hmm. But when it comes to, like, I don't know, I talk about Shauna, our friend, who only after talking to her did I real did she tell me that she was an engineer before she became an ECE? Mm-hmm. So what if she came to a workshop that I did on math or in engineering, <laughs> like a, a STEM? I'm going like, and I'm telling her, you know? <laughs> so we need to know each other. Mm-hmm. And we need to know that even if you're a new grad, we talked about this, right? New oh grads God. coming with uh, knowledge that they learn mm-hmm. in school. And we just say, this is the way it's done. And we don't leave it open to yeah. that they may mm-hmm. have expertise. It may be their, through their life experience or a prior mm-hmm. job, or we don't know. Well, at face value, they would have the most updated book knowledge, mm-hmm. right? Versus, I mean, even myself, it's been some time now. I didn't learn the same curriculum or have the same practicum experiences or relationships as a student as students now would be having to. And that that navigating of having been a student through a pandemic, the way that they might mm-hmm. learn how to build relationships or engage with children. So there is, like, whether you're a student, new grads, your first day, mm-hmm. you've worked in the sector 30, 50, 40 years. We reciprocally can we share, share knowledge right. because we always have, even in our dis- disposition as continuous learners, an opportunity to learn from each other. And I think that transfers to our work with children. When we mm-hmm. engage in how does learning happen, it truly is an exchange of knowledge between us. When we're co-learning and playing with them, we are we are learning alongside. We are not teaching them. So. So what's preventing educators from not viewing themselves as the expert, the one to impart knowledge, to be the mentor, and and get into this more co-learning, reciprocal relationship? What's the barrier there? What do you think, What do you think, Lauren? Yes. (laughs) 
I think it's being able to be in a place where you are you're willing to listen to other people and be open to their perspective and that you understand that our all our common goal here is to make the environment the best it can be for the children and if we can keep that on their forefront then everything should be able to fall nicely in line mm -hmm. it's letting go of that power differential Right. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Being uncomfortable with that. Being able to yeah. listen to somebody and understand that that's a different perspective and maybe it's something that I haven't tried but something I could definitely look at. And that's what we need to do as friends. Right. And, and we really need to look at, you know, are we listening mm -hmm. to our friends? Do we know things about them, their identity? Because you don't always, you jump into a, a friendship but then you might keep something about yourself hidden and then end up in a difficult position. So you have to really spend time knowing your friend. Who are they? Where do they come from? What's their culture? What are their experiences? What, you know, what have they learned? What are their passions? What are their hobbies? You have to build this and you can only do that by listening. So it's like Cindy can say to me, oh, I love, you know, antique shopping. Oh, so do I, Cindy. And I went yesterday and we had a great time. And, and, and it's like, I didn't stop to let her speak. Yeah. Because, you know, I don't even know her experience because I used it as a jumping off point to, to relate to her as friends. Right. So we don't do it from a bad place, not yeah. listen to each mm -hmm. other. We mm -hmm. just do it because we haven't practiced it. We haven't really worked on, and it's hard for me. I'm mm -hmm. not a quiet person. And, and, and it's hard, hard to me to some, like sometimes I just have to say, Shh, don't look at <laughs> um, and, and, and ask those questions, get to know that person. And, and then inevitably, you know, I learned so much. And I did learn this. And let me tell, mention my, one of my, uh, best influential impactful friendships is with Dr. Hopi Martin and I learned about the power of listening by being part of a sharing circle where you pass the feather mm -hmm. and Hopi would always say to me Diane sit beside me because I'm going to pass the feather to you first and no problem so I'm always sitting beside him but then that means that the feather has to go all the way around and it's not my turn to talk anymore and the first few ones that I experienced, I, I thought, I can't do this. I'm, I'm going to have a hard time. <laughs> I, you know, I, you know, like, and I was really uh, being judgmental about some of the people, you know, I don't want to hear from her or like, what's he <laughs> going to say or whatever. And, you know, I didn't say it out loud, obviously, but then I, all of a sudden I just found myself listening mm. so intently because it's, who are you? What land knows you? Where are you from? What's in your heart? All of these things that we, we say when we, in this, this ceremony. And at the end of it, like I would, I, I literally, I must have my, my mouth open. I, I'm going, <laughs> that was fascinating. I just learned something about all of these people and the act of listening and not talking was so powerful, but it's hard. It it's very hard. It is. Mm -hmm. Diane, your circle of support that some of us had the privilege of, of participating in really taught me things about myself that I didn't realize. I thought I was a good listener mm -hmm. until we had the opportunity to sit in that circle. And, yeah. and again, it was virtually and, and pass yeah. that feather virtually and really taking the time to listen to others and to really absorb what they were saying. And we didn't have the opportunity to jump in and say, oh my gosh, I agree, or oh my gosh, I love that too, yeah. or I feel the same way. We just truly listened. Mm -hmm. And those were some of the most riveting and emotional conversations that I've ever had with like-minded early childhood educators and professionals around the table. And I couldn't believe how emotional that I got during these circles. We would spend an hour to an hour and a half with each other and I would laugh and I would cry and I would gasp and I just, I had so many feelings. And most of these people I've never actually met in person, but some I have and they are genuinely, authentically the same as they were in these circles. Mm -hmm. And they've become some of my really good friends now. 
That's beautiful. I, I'm thinking about uh, listening and what you said about uh, being in the circle that sometimes I find it hard to really listen carefully because my mind is thinking about what I what I could contribute or I want to react to what you know Sherry just said yet everybody else I need to listen to everybody else because I'm worried I'm going to forget what I want to say <laughs> like it it seemed like yeah. a good segue or it seemed important to me to mm -hmm. say at the moment but and I'll forget <laughs> to, yeah. to to bring it up. So that patience it mm -hmm. takes to, to listen closely, listen carefully, it, it takes practice. Mm -hmm. And in the virtual one, we could respond in the chat room. Right. And you could, you're sitting there, you could write something down, you know, to remind yourself. When you're actually doing it around a sacred fire, you don't have a notebook. If you do, you know, Hopi will tell you to put it away because <laughs> you're supposed to be in the moment, you know. And, and so sometimes I'll like, like I'll pinch myself, just, you know, like to try to remember. I'm going to pinch myself so like I'll remember this when it comes <laughs> around. But inevitably I forget. But what I do say, it was important to say at that moment, it, it just... So I think we do need to, to kind of get ourselves away from that need to respond to a certain thing. We'll be good. We'll listen to this podcast and then we'll write down the notes <laughs> yeah. because I'm, I, you know, again, I feel like I'm missing things I want to talk about yeah. that somebody mentioned and we want to build on it, but you can't because we're moving on and we're, ha it's, it's fascinating. I think too, and I think uh, about myself and when I've tried to intentionally, I do always try to intentionally listen, but I, and I can hear it in your voice as well, is that if sometimes it's passion and excitement mm -hmm. about the conversation yeah. that's going on and I don't mean to, to cut off or, or interject so quickly, but it's because I'm so passionate about what you're talking about. It's hard to kind of stay in the lane. Yeah. And I find it with the podcast too and hosting the podcast, it's part of my role in a lot of them is to host and facilitate the conversation. So it's asking the next question. And when I'm listening to them back, I'm remembering the same thoughts I had while that person was talking. And I'm trying, I can feel myself and I'm doing it again when I listen back of not interject, don't interject there, don't add to that. This is their opportunity to share their voice. But it's hard to navigate the facilitator hat when you are responsible for continuing a conversation while still listening and being present. And one of the things you have to do as the facilitator, and this is in a community of practice yeah. or a circle of support, is that you, we have to hear everybody's voice. We have to. And one of my very early experiences with communities of practice is that sometimes people don't speak yeah and um because it's not a, a, a passing a talking a piece around it's not you're there to listen and and i worry about early childhood educators feeling voiceless mm. and i know i had one experience during the pandemic in a community of practice I won't tell you who on camera, <laughs> but off camera I will. And I felt voiceless. Oh. And I think I'm here, you know, there's 10 of us here. And again, I'm the seasoned person who doesn't have a problem contributing and talking. But the way it was being facilitated, it was, I said, it's more like a focus group. Mm -hmm. They were there to tell us what they thought we needed to know and called it a community of practice mm -hmm. and in the end you know like I was frustrated mm -hmm. I was I was angry I was like I didn't have a chance to to, to speak yeah and and we look at our profession how many educators are out there feeling voiceless for whatever reason yeah. you know uh, you know it might be they're English language language learners they so they feel that I, I you know I'm afraid and they're intimidated or they they're a new grad or or you know they just feel like oh I don't Oh, I'm writing a new blog post. It's called, I'm not just an ECE. <laughs> or they that. feel like they are just, just an ECE mm -hmm. and their voice doesn't matter. Well, and I think the pandemic also, because we saw a lot of black screens and muted boxes and, mm -hmm. you know, it's difficult to engage when, like you said, we're not sitting around a table in person. We were looking at screens and 
I think a lot of the most incredible learning that happens at a professional learning event, at anything, is the table conversation and learning and hearing about multiple perspectives outside your own center, room, organization, etc. And we lacked that during the pandemic. It was difficult to engage a black screen sometimes. And I say from a professor side of things and, and the strive side of things, it's, it's an awkward thing to call on someone who's not making eye contact. It's an awkward thing to call on a black screen. Okay, so when you are in a professional learning experience, whether it be on the web or in person, they're not always designed for the voices to be heard. Right. It is often still the sage on the stage. Right. And 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 so those table conversations aren't happening. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is, it's hard. It's like, you know, like, oh, you've got two hours to put together, you know, a presentation on this content, on this topic, and you say, oh, I, I, it's my responsibility. I'm the one standing on the stage. So how do we turn the tables mm-hmm. on that? How do we change that? Because I want to hear from the people around the table. Yeah. I'm not working with children. You know, I. it's been a long time since mm-hmm. I've been in childcare. I didn't work through the pandemic with children. I didn't have, you know, dealing with the new regulations yeah. or whatever. I want to hear from them. Yeah. How do we do that? I think that was, I mean, the reasoning behind our positions existing as well was this co-construction of what these these words might come to mean in our community. So redefining together what mentorship might look like or what professional friendship, whatever these, whatever words we end up working with, that language and the, the descriptions and the planning comes directly from the community. So our hope is that through our surveying and meeting with providers, meeting with focus groups, talking to educators, that their literal voices and quotes will develop this plan moving forward. Uh, yeah, and I think it was helpful going one-on-one to centers as well, because again, I think it gave them the opportunity that, okay, I'm not competing with several other voices. Mm-hmm. I can kind of share what's on my mind. We're not coming from really like a funder perspective. We're coming more from like a neutral-ish mm-hmm. party mm-hmm. where it's like, we're not, it's like, oh, or it's not the ministry coming in being like, oh, what do you <laughs> yeah. want? It's like, okay, yeah. well, what am I going to say? Like, I want to say the right, right thing. thing. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's also something that's come up through the conversations is there's kind of these, even though, you know, all of these community partners have a common goal, the ministry, the funders, whoever it may be, um, resource consultants, we kind of sometimes lose sight of that big picture that we have the common goal of, we want what's best for children and families in our care. But I think because of our different positions, we sometimes lose that. But yeah, going back to kind of that intentional listening, I think it was definitely helpful going out and trying to have those conversations in person because people, you know, through Mm -hmm. that conversation, we were relationship building and they could feel that sense of, okay, I can actually share maybe what's on my mind. If we're sharing kind of like anonymously what other people have said, they're like, oh yeah, I felt that too. And I think a lot of the, what's come out of the conversations is wanting that kind of ability to connect with others as a form of mentorship or as a form of friendship, having those spaces together because again, it was kind of lost through the pandemic and just everything else and having that ability to kind of come together and just share what's on our mind whether it's professional or personal or kind of whatever we're going through and because we don't something that's always come up it's come up in our survey is we don't have enough time and we're always so busy and so I think that really butts up against that narrative of we need to be intentionally listening but we're always so busy so it's kind of like we don't have time to be intentional and to listen and all this while we're in care and then after care it's we have to go to our second job we have family responsibilities whatever the case is so I think it's just how do we make the time then if we feel that we're so busy we really do need to be intentional to listen and to have conversations because that's what's going to mm-hmm. create that sense of belonging. That's when it, that's what's going to build relationships. So how do we create that space, whether it's within program or a space outside of program or both? Um, mm-hmm. I think it's really come up. And I think an interesting point to that as well, um, the community that I'm working with, there is, obviously I went to every organization and I'm engaging in the same work as Haley, but there's also communities of practice that exist in the community. And the conversations that the individuals I met with are having in those group settings were very different than the conversations we were having one-on-one anonymously. Um, So I think it also offered a great opportunity to 
understand the true need versus the the like forward-facing need um so being able to assess that oh staffing like that's a general thing that comes up a lot oh staffing but getting down to the nitty-gritty of maybe we don't have a great onboarding process or we don't have anyone in our organization who's been here for a while because we've had so much turnover so nobody knows what the policies are anymore or understands the ccyA or whatever that's just one example but being able to have the one-on-one conversations made these specific needs and desires of the community more clear because it wasn't influenced by what the conversation that was yeah. happening in a group setting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been able to really p- pinpoint some key areas yeah. for support in order to build that capacity for further um, engagement and collaboration mm-hmm. I'm thinking about uh, when you mentioned Kayla about the language and, and what comes to mind when we use these terms such as mentoring or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when Diane and I used to sit on the child care committee of uh, York Region and, and welcoming people's voices. We even had an entire block of time devoted to how were we going to spell child care mm. in our region mm-hmm. because it was important to us. How we presented ourselves. Yeah. So I, I remember that and, and the cons- consensus, the people around the table, yes, we're going to spell it with uh, as, as two words. And uh, so even now, when I see in our community childcare spelled differently, I thought, what happened to our voices, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. But um, it, it was important to, to us at the time. So the way we interpret and, and having that opportunity to share our voices and having the time to listen yeah. to why it's important to other people, mm-hmm. I, I think it, it's crucial. Now, as a former professor and continuing uh, to provide professional learning, I, I say if I was going to back, going back to the classroom, which I never will because I hate marking, but <laughs> if I was, I would, if it was a three-hour class, the first hour would be set up to listen mm-hmm. and to make sure everybody had a voice and that we learned about who everybody is, mm-hmm. who, you know, their culture, their ideas, their passions, their hobbies, whatever. And, and then we would jump into the content and the delivery and the group work and everything else. And so when I do professional learning, it, I always am really trying hard, mm-hmm. even if you have that limited time, to hear from the people that are there. And, and I think no matter what we do, if we really focus on that and having that one, one-to-one and then having going into the group setting, having that feeling, that powerful feeling that one-to-one talking to Haley, I can say what I, because you know, nobody's going to say, I said this, <laughs> I can say it and she's listening and she's writing it down and she's nodding and I'm sure you were, I wasn't there, <laughs> but you were giving those uh, listening indications mm-hmm. and rather than you know rolling your eyes or you know like let's move on to the next one or I'm not interested or interrupting um, I write about this in my book sometimes we interrupt someone who's not finished sometimes it takes me a minute or two to get something out right mm-hmm. Cindy <laughs> and, um, and and you know you, so don't just fill it in Mm-hmm. You know I'm going to say such and such, so you finish my mm-hmm. sentence for me? No, I wasn't mm-hmm. going to say that. But then I just, I'm shut down. Right. Mm-hmm. You, like you just kind of took that away from me. So we, I don't know, we really have to watch out that there are people that are feeling mm-hmm. voiceless. We have to help to empower them to feel that they have a voice and how will that change? So what about the folks that aren't coming out to PL, that aren't Mm -hmm. engaging in communities of practice. You know, we referred to some of the voiceless, but they're at the tables. So that's that's a step. Mm -hmm. What about those who aren't at the tables? Mm -hmm. How do we navigate that? How do we build relationship with people who don't necessarily 
want to come to the table. Well, this is one way of doing it <laughs> uh, through, through a podcast. And, yeah. you know, having worked in this profession for as long as we have, this is no new phenomenon. Right. We, we've been working with this for, for yeah. a number of years. We always see the same faces. Often we, we see the same yeah. faces coming to professional learning sessions. And, and it's great. We're developing amazing relationships sure. with, with these people. Well, we're setting the but, stage. And I think through podcasts like this, we're giving people permission mm -hmm. to have these smaller around the table conversations mm -hmm. that lead to bigger ideas and different differing perspectives. And then also maybe the confidence to continue sharing it. I think about the opportunity that, you know, those of us that are sitting around the table that are part-time professors. And, and going back to what you just said, Diane, about leaving that space and time, you know, to introduce and to introduce personally, not just mm -hmm. on paper, not just in you know a discussion a discussion post, but to introduce um, and allow everyone to speak. And it sets the, it sets the tone, but it also it shows I'm listening. I want to learn more about you, and this is the culture or the kind of um, not expectation, but the kind of dream I have for us moving forward with future conversations and engagement, whether it be in class, whether it be during a professional learning opportunity, whether it be in a classroom after you've just, you know, witnessed some fabulous stuff or maybe some not so fabulous stuff um, that are going on, um, the interactions and such. And I, I think that providing that permission is very, very important. And then building confidence mm -hmm. through regularly doing it and, and pushing people a little bit out of their comfort zone to, to do this give and take between one another. So this table should be happening in every center, in every program, mm -hmm. because there are people in those programs that are not coming out to the PLs. Yeah. They're not coming out to the COPs. They're not coming out. And for many good reasons, when we talk about yeah. you know the other job, the family responsibilities, and to have that, how can that be part of the person who is in charge role? Mm. But at the same time, you think about overwhelmed, they don't have enough staff, there's a turnover, you know, they, maybe they're new to the role. So, but it really is an opportunity to create the, this dynamic of friendship, like a community that supports each other, to create that space so that you can give the feedback to the not so great and to the great that's happening inside the classroom. It, but you, isn't that your role? Like you're yes, absolutely. And I found the best success with listening and and morale after offering out professional learning opportunities to the educators in the program and us attending together. Mm. Sometimes it's a larger group of seven or eight of us. Yes. Other times it's just one of us and we go for dinner before and then we kind of just chat about professional learning after in the car on the way there. But it's definitely, and even the, there was the creative messy on, purpose. messy on purpose. So we all went and we got messy and we talked and we got to know each other better. And the next day was evident in our work. We're getting better every day. So it's absolutely incredible to us when we see leaders attending with their yes. team members and we hear and see how that does transform practice. Mm -hmm. And it continues the conversation beyond attending the PL and leaving. Mm -hmm. Because our goal with any professional learning is not to fill you with knowledge and answers, it's to leave you with more questions and answers. And if you have someone there in a pedagogical or leadership role who can further the conversation, help support asking more questions and digging into this, that's where the learning happens. We have uh, also taken the opportunity after the workshops to um, have the educators sit down together and we talk about what we've learned. We create some sort of a learning story to be able to share with our families in the hallway so they can see the fun. So one of our educators are upside down on the floor or they're on the floor and they're underneath the table painting away, <laughs> yeah. but they're having the best time yeah. and you can see it on their face. You can for see sure. how, how um, impactful those nights are and what it does for our team. So thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> but that's not always the that's case. That's not always the case. And we're still back to that, which I'm not leaving, is that we're not going to reach those people yeah. who can't come to the professional learning. 
and how do we help them grow their practice? Mm -hmm. How do we help them feel passionate about being an early childhood educator, building a legacy? You know, it, because they're almost, I would guess, the majority. It's like the silent majority because Probably. like we said, we see the same people yeah. coming out to the same thing and not everybody is like you where they you say our whole team's going to this one or closing all the centers in a region and having something happen. It doesn't happen in every region like yeah. that. It doesn't happen all the time and you're there's going to be people that just don't come. Well, and when it's mandatory, then there's feelings. Some people don't want to spend that day at a system-wide professional learning day. So it, it is, it, it, you can't make everyone happy. We recognize that. If you close all the centers and offer a day for learning, that, sh that should be, in most cases, is viewed as an incredible opportunity because as early childhood educators, we, we haven't seen this before. This is unprecedented. Mm -hmm. But we are still hearing, well, I, it's a Friday of a long weekend and I don't want to spend my day at a system ballroom and there's no windows and you're always going to have that so it's the unreachable how do we even begin to put that question in their mind of what this opportunity could offer well it brings us back to mentorship yeah. within the yeah. within the team mm -hmm. that uh, this is the opportunity to um for the supervisor or the manager to ensure that staff meetings are conducted uh, you know in in this manner i can remember how many staff meetings have i been to where nobody speaks a word other yeah. than the supervisor has the full agenda right. and it's all about this new pro you know policy mm -hmm. this new procedure da 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 new child coming and it, it's like a bombardment of information it's not opportunity mm -hmm. to engage in um any sort of professional learning or to talk about pedagogy or understand what pedagogy even means. Right. Uh, but if, if our leaders had more opportunity or thought more carefully about having this happen um, at, a, at a staff meeting with their teams, yeah. I, I think that's a great way. Well, and even to know your team well enough to know what might be of interest or supportive to them. This is what I was just going to mention. <laughs> I'm so like, I'm like, like oh, I am so out. sure that you we all are interested <laughs> to talk. Yeah. Um, but this is some work that I've been doing, and it's getting to know your the educators yes. that you work with, and getting to know because I know I have a very big personality, and I know that if I come into a classroom and I'm going to, here I am, and I'm excited. <laughs> some of the educators love that, but there's other educators that will shut right down. So I th what I've been doing is working with the educators that don't enjoy that group dynamic and looking at other options. Is it a blog post? Is it a webinar? Is it um, more a podcast? <laughs> but looking at the other options that are available mm -hmm. to them. And always sending the message. You are valued. Mm -hmm. What you have to say and who you are is important. Mm -hmm. And what you bring is important. And so even if you know they're not coming out to these things or they're not comfortable to to speak around a table that we somehow give them that message and give them that mm -hmm. opportunity to share because we don't want people walking around feeling that they can't they're hiding some part of their identity mm -hmm. And I talk about this often being the only Jew in the room um, and, 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 and people having preconceived uh, ideas of what that means because it's not, to me, it's not about religion, it's about culture and heritage and ethnicity. Mm -hmm. But I didn't talk about it for probably mm. 25, I mean, I, I think it was my first day working at the college that someone told me not to mention it, right? So it is something that I've just like, it's part of my identity. Someone and told you not to mention it? Yes. Now we're talking about 35 years ago, they, they, they said. That hurts my heart. Yeah. And it, it was around, do, around the holidays, because the high holidays, just don't mention it, just you know, kind of work it into your schedule that you take the holidays off. Don't ask for it formally. You know, it, like, it, 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 it's clear day. I can remember where oh. I was and who it was saying that to me. And, and it's like, wow. Um, but we, like, you just 
you know, we're here in this wonderful little town called Grand Bend, Ontario, and I'm so happy to be able to share my little piece of heaven <laughs> with you. But on the weekend, when I go to that main beach, there are people from every mm -hmm. walk of life, from every corner of the planet it seems mm -hmm. and and you know like the, yesterday or the day before you know i saw some women just like they were completely covered and they were in the water and it just brought me so much joy mm -hmm. that this place exists for everybody and we have to create this feeling of everybody is welcome no matter who you are mm -hmm. where you're from because the educators are just like the children. And you know, the educators who come from different places or identify in a certain way, it might be their gender identity. So we just have to make sure that this is a safe place mm -hmm. to be heard and that whoever you are and however you identify or, or come wherever you come from, you're welcome here and your voice matters and you're, you're valuable mm -hmm. to us. That's the goal. I, it's going to be hard. It, it is. is. Yeah, and even our colleagues have talked about, you know, when it comes to gender identity and, and being cis passing and, and being female passing, it, it is a, a lot of assumptions are made. How do you know when you're safe? And, and we often use brave space or, or accountable space mm -hmm. because we can't guarantee safety but we can guarantee that we are going to be accountable and we can guarantee that we're going to be brave and that we want you here just the way you are and that's not always the case i'm glad that you said that like that i actually said at the beginning of a staff meeting the other day that this is a safe space mm -hmm. and i somebody said to me at the end like just because you told me that it's safe that's doesn't right. mean that it is and i instantly checked yeah. myself like yeah. you're absolutely right just because i told you it's safe doesn't mean that it is you create a safe space. you you put a sign up this is a safe <laughs> space yeah. Right? Yeah. it absolutely just yeah. made me check my language and i thanked them for it like i was it's another thing that we've we've really taken the time to dive into and you know we did have uh, a, a rainbow safe space sticker up on our door at the resource center for a long time and Brie, our incredible colleague, said, we need to talk about this. We can't guarantee this. We don't know every person in this space and how they're going to feel about me being gay, trans, black, Jewish, whatever it may be. We can't promise that. It's, it's hard. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is a whole another, another <laughs> podcast episode. Yeah, part part two. two. <laughs> just bring us back yeah. for a moment from sort of the system lens and I think about how fortunate our communities are that we are engaging in these conversations and working together and when I say together I mean there are numerous municipalities and communities across the province right now that are connecting intentionally with one another where mm -hmm. we may not have always done that in the past mm -hmm. and what I think from a system lens in terms of um, quality and best and promising practices, I think the biggest thing we're doing right now is listening and creating those opportunities through our community animators to allow these conversations to occur and to allow people to feel safe in, in what they're sharing and what their hopes and dreams are mm -hmm. for the future of early childhood education and early learning. And then I think about how their voices are coming to light and we're not creating something, documents or a program that says, this is how we think mentoring should look mm -hmm. like in our community. We're saying, this is what we wanna hear about from you and we want you to develop it in a way that we are happy to support and, and to extend and to make this part of a process so that this becomes a way of being with one another and this becomes natural and we create time and we create space for it, um, but we also allow people's confidence to build and we come back mm. to that idea that a professional friendship is essential for our community, for our own professional growth mm -hmm. and for the betterment of children and families 
and that we are allowing this to happen organically so that it's not something that's forced upon people, that it comes together in a way that we can say, we built this and we're proud of this and this is our culture and way of being. This isn't something that was imposed on us or we had to be a part of. And I think that's the beauty of listening um, throughout the province and listening to others that have a different perspective you know, like Dr. Hopi Martin, like our colleagues that have worked in childcare, like our colleagues that have taught mm -hmm. in the colleges and universities, like our educators that are coming in to this workforce with different backgrounds and different educational backgrounds mm -hmm. and different family dynamics that are contributing mm -hmm. to this way of being that allows us to be part of it and to grow a system that we want to um, that we want to call quality childcare and early learning. Okay, so you made me think of a, a good final question because if we record any longer, Bree's gonna hunt us all down. <laughs> Cindy and Diane, Sherry mentioned our hopes and dreams. Mm -hmm. So, what are your hopes and dreams for our sector? For Lauren's gonna cry. <laughs> for early childhood educators, what's what's your dream? Your hope. My hope is that early childhood educators value, and I'm gonna cry. <laughs> <laughs> value who they are, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. this work is important to children and families, and it has to come. Oh, I'm already crying. I'm always the first. No, Lauren I think was I first. Lauren literally <laughs> just turned away, about to look at you. It's my hopes and dreams that people come into this profession because they truly value and they truly believe that they can make a difference in the lives of young children and their families, mm -hmm. and that they choose this profession for the right reasons. Yeah. And my hopes and dreams is that everybody every single early childhood educator would have access. They can't have a mentor to a friend. Mm -hmm. And to have, you know, Cindy, I go back, I tell this story all the time, the time you pulled me into your office and you said, Diane, you have such an important message and, and, and we need to hear from you. You're, you're brilliant, you're wonderful, and I love you. And I'm going to tell you this because I love you. And then she went on to tell me something that I probably wouldn't have received well had she not framed it that way. Mm -hmm. And I said, this is the, she has my back. She loves me. She cares about me so much that she wants to help me get an important message out that I was sabotaging myself mm -hmm. because of the way I was approaching it. And I want every educator to have that friend. Mm -hmm because they can't all have mentors and they can't come out to all the different professional mm -hmm. learning but if they feel that they are loved by somebody who cares for what they do and cares about what they do then we will have the system change mm -hmm. but it's everybody has to feel that way and how do we get that and it starts with their own well-being and their own sense of identity. And as soon as you shut down who they are, or they feel they don't have that voice, they won't be the friend they need to be, or the, or have the friend they need to have. Okay, are we all done crying now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, Lauren's not. No, Lauren's not. No, I am done. I just. So you're a crier. I'm not. When it cut, I am just very. I, yeah. Yeah, I want to see the sector thrive. Yes. I think I believe in it so much and I know how important it is. And I just, I thank you for being advocates for this long and, um, and not giving up on us. Oh no. And, yeah. and we can't, we can't give up. And, and I'm just so grateful that I'm still here. And, and I'm I, out of retirement. And, and yeah, she, she tried to retire during the pandemic and you know. How's that working? Yeah, no, well, it's good. It's not, it's not happening. Uh, we're not done. And I think about Hopi's seasonal pedagogy, which is based on the sacred circle of uh, birth movement uh, relationships and passing which is based on the seasons and based on life 
and we are in the passing season we are in the winter season it, it is about our legacy it is about what is going to be the give back to the next generation of early childhood educators to the next generation of children and and i think that we all need to think about you know what we want what our hopes and dreams are and and you know get when you get to this stage you're going to be in that position right now you're kind of you're moving and you're de developing relationships but you will be in that season of passing and thinking about your legacy and um, you know hopefully we'll all be working towards this in our lives well, thank you thank you thank you all of you I wanted to share something when you talk about the seasonal pedagogies and birthing uh, Mac is going to be a big brother in January oh. <laughs> is this going on the podcast <laughs> Here I go, back to season one. Come, oh, come this winter. Congratulations. Congratulations. Lauren's standing up now. She's like, I can't breathe. This is all just too much for me. I know. I'm going to have an emotional release. I'm going to this. Kayla's been keeping a secret for a long time. Um, but I thought that was a little way to end and to thank you all. I'm so happy to be here today. And... Let's go eat some lunch. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Wow. Thanks so much for listening. You can connect with us on Instagram at Leading Inspired Learning Pod or on our website at strivewo.ca slash podcast. I would love to have you tell a friend or colleague about this podcast. Thanks again for listening. Please join us next time. <laughs>